We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com. We are back. It's been a long time for all of us, for Kyle, for Riley, and myself. We've been waiting, just percolating on the content. If you saw the outline for this week's episode, you would know we've been spending weeks and weeks coming up with what we want to talk about. But uh, it's really good to be back. It's good to see your guys' faces again. Um, Just generally, how are you? Don't have COVID yet, so I'm doing all right. Hanging in there up here in Minneapolis. So I'm excited sort of about basketball being back. I mean, it's still sort of a weird situation with the bubble and scrimmage games and kind of figuring out the whole balance between all that. But I'm doing okay. Yep, I'm good too. Also no COVID. Watching a lot of soccer. Um, Liverpool won the league, so that was great. Ford Madison just came back. But... Yeah, I still don't love the idea of sports coming back, but it is what it is. Yeah, Kyle, weren't you? I saw you got some. You and your son got some film time on big time on NBC Sports or something, right? We did, we did. So what, because there's no fans at the stadium, they decided to do different like supporter group like fans throughout the country. So that one weekend, it was Madison, Wisconsin for Liverpool, and I was a part of it. Sterling was sitting on my lap when that happened. So yeah, it was a good time. He has now been on TV apparently twice. So he's a bigger star than I'll ever be. <laughs> well, that, I mean, we'll have to wait till he makes his first podcast appearance. Cause I mean, you have all of these in the bank, so we'll see True. if we can match up to that. <laughs> um, well, as you guys said, I mean, it is kind of weird to have sports back. It, you know, there's obviously, uh, there's going to be lots of caveats aside. Um, I think we made all of our, opinions pretty clear about how we we feel about trying to approach this this virus back on our previous podcast you can listen back to those but for the purposes of this we're going to talk about basketball because basketball is back we have the milwaukee bucks back in our lives it took uh so far we have two scrimmages um under the belt first one kicked off against the san antonio spurs the second one was against the sacramento kings um, Bucks win both of those, which is great. Great, get back in, uh, get back in the useful shape of, of destroying other teams. Um, we'll get into the nitty gritty of those a little bit later, but just generally, guys, um, to, to this point in the bubble, almost all of Milwaukee is there. We were just waiting on Eric Bledsoe, who showed up um, after testing positive for COVID nineteen. Hopefully, he's feeling okay. He is in the bubble. He returned to practice last week, and then Pat Connaughton is now in route as well um, via, I think that was shared on social media on Saturday, July 25th. Um, So we should have the entire Milwaukee Bucks squad down there. Hopefully Pat Connaughton and Eric Bledsoe are okay. Hopefully their families are okay. Um, But just generally, Riley, it does seem like compared to other teams, I haven't paid a ton of attention to other teams, but it does feel pretty fortunate that already the Bucks have basically their entire squad down there. 
It does. And I think you can even look at these scrimmages as, I mean, obviously they're going to be warm-up games for everybody, but it's an interesting because guys like Pat and Eric are those two guys and whatever happened to Cam Reynolds, he's just, <laughs> just oh, left yeah. him stranded. Like, all right, good season, <laughs> Cam. See you later. Uh, so besides that, um, I think it was valuable yes to have the whole squad together and we'll have these eight games and because milwaukee has a pretty much insurmountable lead for the top seed that'll give there'll be a lot less pressure for eric and pat to like rush back or they'll have plenty of time to get warmed up and kind of get a feel for the rest of the team again but on top of that it gives us a good opportunity to see two scrimmages to see like dante run a lot of point guard or even frank mason got some run at the end of the spurs game for example so um, I, I think it is fortunate. I'm not sure how many other teams are missing like a lot of critical players. I know the Clippers, for different reasons, are missing a couple of guys, but it sounds like they'll also be pretty much back by the time the seeding games are done. So, so far, it seems like the whole bubble experiment, not only for the Bucks, but for everybody else, is going relatively well. Um, and again, it'll just kind of force the team to experiment a little bit, which is not a bad thing for the Bucks, I don't think. Yeah, I've been surprised by how well the bubble has been going. Just Candidly, I, I think they came out and said there were no positive tests last week, which for me was was surprising, Kyle. Yeah, I figured watching the other sports league, I know NWSL for women's soccer, they had their bubble over in Utah. And since they had a whole team drop out because a few players tested positive before the whole thing started. But once everyone got to the bubble, it was fine. And Major League Soccer had a few hiccups at the beginning, but they've also and they're also in a bubble in Orlando. So it seems like. Things have gotten better for all the – because I know, like, WNBA, NBA, and MLS are all in Orlando with their respective bubbles. How that's turned out has surprised me just because, you know, you would think there would still be one test, whether it was a false positive or not. There would be someone that would have tested positive. And, yeah, it seems like it is working when players follow the rules, which is what we were not sure was going to happen because as much as we know they're adults at the same time, all it takes is for one person to break it and they get it and then it spreads to everyone else. And then we're hitting a mess and that's not including the Disney employees as well. So good that the bubble still looking to be pretty efficient and effective. Maybe that could be the model. Most other leagues in the country go towards in the future. If you know, if you have four sports leagues, that have done a bubble and all four can successfully start and finish without any problems. Um, in terms of other teams, yeah, it seems like Milwaukee had two players, and while one of them is a starter, it doesn't seem as dire. Thankfully, it was early enough, and he is and Bledsoe is back practicing. While you know, you look at the Nets, and they seem to have a few guys that have tested positive and have left the bubble. Um, notable love of the pod, Michael Beasley being one of them. Um, the Lakers seem to have, yeah, it seems like every team hasn't returned to full, full strength yet. And that's, you know, whether it's like the Houston Rockets where they had, you know, Westbrook tested positive or you have the Pacers who lost a bonus within weeks of being, like within days of being there. So I think it's going to be interesting to see moving forward how many of those teams that are back and able to hit their stride by the time these eight games happen for the Bucks because they have such a large lead. And, you know, getting the number one overall seed doesn't matter since there's no home court advantage. I wonder how how long it'll take them to get up to speed and if Bud will make any of those changes that he'll need to. But experimenting is always good. 
seeing Frank Mason get some play time is always a fun time because I always think he could do well, and then sometimes I get a harsh reality that that's not the case. Um, DJ Wilson still can't get playing time unless it's a blowout. So that's <laughs> nothing has changed at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt bad for Frank Mason when he, he checked in and um, he got an inbound pass and uh, it was stolen from him right away. Just had his pocket cleanly picked, which is, you know, a harsh welcome to the uh, high NBA life after his MVP uh, G League season. Shout out to him for that. But uh, I, I, I'm really curious to see, are, do you have any fears, Riley, about Eric Bledsoe and Pat Connaughton, you know, reacclimating themselves to the team? I guess really the only notable fear that's possible is is lingering effects from the virus that we that we don't know about. Yeah, it would be more so probably stemming from again like cardio conditioning that sort of stuff where you have guys like Giannis or you guys who don't have COVID where they even in like the Spurs game they kind of seem a little winded just because this is the first competitive minutes. And so I know Eric was saying that he didn't really work out. He was just playing a lot of call of duty, which is fine. I'd probably do the same thing if I had COVID, I guess. <laughs> uh, and that's a good way to stay united with the teammates, which is good, but it might take him a little bit of time to get back up to speed. And like Pat, I'm not as worried just because his role is more interchangeable with a lot of the other guys on the bench. And so um, maybe he'll be able to leap a little bit, less at guys and like totally whiff trying to block it or whatever um (laughs) but i I think i'm not too worried because it feels like the eight games as long as there aren't serious lingering effects and it sounds like both of them didn't have too bad of symptoms um in theory that should be enough to kind of get them to game shape and then again the first round presumably whoever the eighth seed is going to be the bucks are going to blow them out anyhow so that's like another four games you kind of have to get into shape and so i think with all that in front of you again as long as there's no real issues i I don't see it as a um a real downside for the bucks and that it'll be a lingering problem throughout the playoffs but any more than like you know any sort of nerves or pressure or anything like that that eric might normally feel or you know kind of not being hot shooting like Pat, something along those lines. I think the other thing that I think is is beneficial to the Bucks, and I know this happened a little bit with the Clippers, but I think it's most notably with the Lakers is they've been they've lost a few guys. So uh, Rajon Rondo, of course, I think he hurt his hand, but his thumb, uh, either way, I think. yeah. Um, so he's out like six to eight weeks. So theoretically, maybe not to the conference finals, he would come back. Avery Bradley, of course, opted not to come into the bubble for very valid reasons. Um, you know, the Bucks didn't really have anyone like that who chose not to come to the bubble. If they want, if they didn't want to come to the bubble, I would have totally understood. Um, but you know, thankfully everyone wanted to come in and try and get, take this championship. And then I think the other concern obviously is with these guys having to work out at home or potentially not working out, um, at times, um, it, there is the fear of, of injuries as people come back to the court and so far, so far, so good in terms of the limited minutes that the Bucks have played. Wesley Matthews had a little bit of a scare in the Kings game where he seemed to bump knees with Harry Giles, but he left the court, uh, apparently asked Bud if he could come back in later, so thinking he's probably fine. And then the only other potential injury was Thanasis, who I, I think entered the concussion protocol or was being checked out for a concussion. So those are really the only two big injuries, but, um, you know, so far, so good. And, and just hopefully the as they ramp up the minutes, Kyle, there aren't any other further injuries that that rear their head with the Bucks getting back up to speed. Yeah, with the Spurs game, it was getting to the fourth quarter, and I think there was seven minutes left. The Bucks were up eighteen something points, and I was kind of thinking, all right, Giannis is still in, the starters are still in. Let's 
try and get them out in, I think, a minute later, but I got Giannis out, but Brooke was still in. I was like, okay, let's – they don't need to play this much. They're, they got this in the bag, and I think that's going to be – otherwise, the rotation has been good for what Bud's doing. He's not trying to run them into the ground too much. He's still, in terms of a 10-minute quarter, load managing them pretty well. Um so you just hope that there isn't a muscle injury primarily just because their bodies haven't been used to using the, a couple of those muscles for months now. So that's going to be the bigger concern, whether it's, you know, a shoulder or a hamstring or a calf, uh, that those don't flare up. Um, the good thing about that break was Giannis coming back 100% healthy because right before the, everything stopped, he had that knee issue, which it was good for him to kind of rest. And now he made that joke, like, did he really think I didn't? you know, have a basketball was able to get some shots in um, throughout that whole time, which I thought was pretty funny because it seemed when Giannis said he didn't shoot a basketball, I was like that. No, there's no way. There's no way he, out of all people, did not try and get as much practice in as possible. Um, but it's good that, you know, it seems like they're still healthy. It seems like they're getting back into shape and there hasn't been a major injury. Hopefully Thanasis doesn't have as bad of a concussion or a concussion at all because that was a pretty scary fall that he had at the end of the Spurs game. Um, and yeah, with Eric and Pat, it's just more of a cardio-wise, I doubt. They didn't, yeah, they didn't work out when they tested positive. I don't know how much work out they did even prior, and now they're going to have to slowly integrate and get back to it, and we don't know the effects of COVID, so... Hopefully, it's not too, too serious of, you know, lingering effects for them. But I think I think overall this is as good as it can be for the first two games of a scrimmage. And and I think on top of that, in addition to guys coming back, and especially Kyle, you said Giannis was a big one. I thought it was really impressive. And again, it's only two scrimmage games, so we can't take it and extrapolate it out to the entire playoffs during the bubble or anything. But I thought guys like Wes, um, George Hill, and I think Marv, uh, Marvin, uh, Marvin Williams. I don't know why I'm calling him Marv. Marv. Uh, like I'm Marv. like I'm on first name basically. My guy Marv. Uh, they they all looked really good, like pretty spry. And I think one of my concerns, more so than Giannis, because you know he was going to rest up, or like Chris. You know, I'm sure they'd figure out ways to work out or kind of stay in shape. But I think guys who are a little bit older, one of the concerns would be how did these months, did they either come back and look even more spry or did they kind of look like, you know, like a Corver in the first game where he looked a little, little rustier. He still looks like he might disintegrate or Ursan looks like he's moving slower than ever, which is not exactly great, but he still puts himself in great position, which is, you know, fine and a good way to kind of counteract that. But I thought especially in these two scrimmages, Marvin looked really good with his footwork. I thought with a lot of, especially offensively um, kind of moving around, working in pick and rolls or working kind of like two man game. So um, I thought for me, that was one of the other big takeaways was the older guys, at least the ones that presumably are going to get a lot of minutes look pretty good and look to be in good shape as well. Yeah. Let's talk specifically about that, that Spurs game. I think it was the more going to be the more relevant out of the two scrimmages given this, uh, only a few of the, the starters played just one half against the Kings. So against the Spurs, Bucks win 113-92. Giannis uh, ends up with 22 points, just one of five from deep. Some, some pretty nasty misses, actually, from three, but not out of line for how he's, he shoots the three occasionally. Three of eight from the free throw line. Five fouls. He he was racking up the fouls. They really wanted to, to call him that game. Good work on the refs uh, getting their whistles in. Chris, <laughs> 16 points, four of 12. Uh, got to the line seven times, which was nice. Brooke, 17 points, 
three of three from deep for the elder Lopi. So, you know, I mean, it was a scrimmage game. There wasn't a whole lot to take away from it. I thought the big thing was Giannis still looks unstoppable in transition, going down to the paint. Uh, you know, seeing Brooke Lopez hit three threes is great. It's hard when it's a small sample size, but it was good that they were going in. I think maybe that's just something that he just needs to see and maybe his confidence will build up from there. But was there anything significant that stood out to you from that Spurs game, Riley? I think the biggest thing, and this is kind of a theme that was between the two games, was how decent Chris and Giannis looked and how they looked independent of one another and how they looked playing off one another. Um, I thought in the Spurs game especially, there was a lot of pick-and-roll action that Chris was initiating, and you can kind of see it also in the Sacramento game where at the end of quarters they were like, okay, we're just going to try and do the Chris-Giannis pick-and-roll, and for whatever reason, I mean, it's a pretty simple pocket pass that Chris has to make if they're both charging towards the hoop after actually setting the pick, and so... There were a lot of times where Giannis would be laboring and instead of trying to force the issue and be like, okay, just keep hammering away from outside the perimeter and trying to get ahead full of steam. It was like, let's free it up. Let's just get you a wide open dunk essentially. And then as the game kind of went on, you could see where the Spurs were kind of throwing like a third defender at the pick and roll. And then at that point, it kind of falls down to Chris being able to pick out whoever the open guy is. And there were a couple of times where like, I think, there was a West Matthews three that came off of a Giannis pick and roll where Chris was able to turn around and get it back to him. And so if that's something, a small fold like that, that is pretty tough for opponents to stop, depending on what your personnel is like, it takes the pressure off of Giannis to have to deal with three defenders independently. And it kind of, again, forces opponents to pick their poison. And then it kind of comes down to, is Chris comfortable with trying to make like mid rangers or finding whoever the open guy is. And so that from the Spurs game, especially was something that I was like, okay, that that's pretty interesting. Cause we don't see it all that often. I think you said before we recorded that we're the bucks run the third least amount of pick and roll action in the entire league, which that's just the way that they play, which is fine. And obviously it works given the regular season, but if that's another small thing that they can kind of work on throughout these seeding games, it, you put your two best players in position to work off one another and read the situation, trust them, have them be confident in that ability. I think that's something that would be positive build off going on to the future. Cause it's really tough for an opponent to stop. Yeah. Kyle, what stood out to you from that, the, the Spurs game? I think what stood out to me was that first, especially in the first half, the defense that Milwaukee was having was as up to speed as I it was very up to speed. It looked, they were very active. They were moving around. You know, they were still forcing this. And the Spurs are a team that likes taking mid-range jump shots, so it's kind of tough to know for sure if that was by design or if that was them limiting the Spurs to it. But forcing a lot of mid-range jumpers from the Spurs, defensively they were flying around the court. You know, Marvin Williams is diving for balls. Giannis is still getting hands on it. Dante is still typical Dante in the passing lanes. So I think defensively, Milwaukee looked as good as they did. And offensively was tough. You mentioned that Giannis was one of five from three. And especially early on, those were pretty bad misses. But everyone was struggling to hit a three-point shot that wasn't Brooke Lopez or Marvin Williams in the first half. Even Kyle Korver, I think, airballed a three. So I think the offense still needed some time to gel. And then you saw by the third quarter, it was starting to show signs of life again. But I think defensively, it seemed like Milwaukee was picking it right back up. And that's a good thing because that's going to rely more on, you know, legs and 
you know, mentally trying to stay as focused as possible and make sure you, you know, you don't get backdoor cut or something. So I think that's what I noticed, especially in that Spurs game was how the defense looked throughout all four quarters while Milwaukee's offense kind of struggled in the first half, but in the third quarter, they're able to get that one run that they needed to kind of blow the game open and seal it by then. Um, also what I was relatively impressed with was Marvin Williams himself. He looked, you know, Riley mentioned that his footwork was good and he was in good positions. He was getting a couple jump shots in. He just looked like someone that actually benefited from this break, maybe getting to know his teammates, feeling more comfortable, not having to learn the whole system on the fly if there was, you know, game still going compared to now he's had some time to sit down, maybe talk it over with the coaches and players to know how the system works. But he looked like someone that, you know, when Milwaukee got him from waivers, this is the guy that they're hoping to get. And I think that's going to be a big wrinkle. And as Urzan looks a little bit slower and maybe Urzan needs more of a breather and takes the time to get, you know, back up to speed, Marvin slotting in perfectly was a good thing as well. And the rotation-wise, um, Dante DiVincenzo getting the start in the first half for Eric Bledsoe, and then George Hill got the start in the second half. But each – so George Hill is the first sub – for Milwaukee in the first half, and then Dante was the first up in the second half. So I don't know how long it's going to take before Eric Bledsoe is 100% back and even starting, but that will be – it's good to know that at least Dante or George Hill will still be taking his spot, and they're not going to try and go bigger and still having one of those guards come off the bench. Yeah, the a lot of really, really great points there. The, the Marvin one is, is really fascinating. I, I was looking at his numbers like before we got started and his, his usage rate was incredibly low. I mean, like below Tony Snell levels of, of usage rate. So like we're talking about that even who, possible that I know. <laughs> usage rate. that's what that means. <laughs> so, I mean, see, you make a great point that hopefully this time off maybe helped him get a little more acclimated to his teammates. And I think what, 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 made me most excited about it was, you know, he's, he's brought in to be a guy who's going to hit threes at a decent clip. I, I think he was like third on the team in terms of his three point attempt attempt rate. Um, so like all, most of his shots are three pointers, um, a higher percentage of his shots were three pointers than ever in his career. But we got to see, I thought a lot more diversity from him offensively. Uh, he was working as like a high post, um, you know, he got the ball in the high post and worked a little weird two-man game with Ursan Ilyasova in the Kings game, which Lord knows if we're going to that in the playoffs, then we're we're beyond hope. But, um, you know, seeing him run a little pick and roll with Chris and get the ball and, and work his way down into the lane, I, I thought that was promising, just finding new ways to get him involved that's not just sit out on the corner and space the floor. I, I think that'll hopefully work wonders going forward for, for trying to make sure that he's as as involved and it feels like a part of the team as, as possible. The, the other interesting thing you talked about the absence of Eric, Bledsoe. I think it ties back to your point, Riley seeing Chris run that pick and roll was really great to see. Uh, obviously he's partially doing it because Eric Bledsoe is out. So you need someone who could run the pick and roll. Um, but I did think I, I thought Dante DiVincenzo and George Hill did well, but I did feel like you do see a little bit of the absence of Eric Bledsoe when you have like Dante DiVincenzo trying to drive into the lane and just he just doesn't quite have the burst or uh, ability to get there in the same way, Riley, that I think Eric Bledsoe does. I would agree. And I think there was – I'm not sure. There's not really much of a contingent for, like, the Dante point guard, like yeah. the, the heir apparent. So, And I think these minutes are probably driving it at home where he's – it's, it's like this weird trade-off, right, where he's – 
okay handling the ball, but it's not as compact of like his, his dribbling isn't as compact. He's not nearly his physicality isn't as compact. So that's like a positive on offense when he's the shooting guard or playing the two, because then he's able to utilize the fact that everybody else is paying attention to like Chris or Giannis or Eric, whoever it is. And then he can kind of poach off ball. And then on defense, I think it's interesting in that you've talked a lot about Dante being able to get around picks and he's a little bit different from Eric in that he gets around picks, not by blowing it up, but kind of like being fluid. And then what's interesting is because he has the length and the height advantage over to Eric, usually you'd have Eric like pressuring whoever the ball handlers off the pick and roll, like right behind the beat. It, it make it uncomfortable. The thing about Dante is there's so many times where he blocks the ball where like whoever the guy is runs into Brooke. And instead of like trying to kind of jump off balance to get space, to get the shot off, then Dante because of his length is able to get there and kind of swat it away, obviously. So I thought that was an interesting difference to look at defensively, but I agree that it's, it's just tough to envision Dante getting a lot of point guard minutes just because he's not the same kind of facilitator and he doesn't have the same exact play style, which is fine. And he's really good at his play style, but that doesn't necessarily fit with what you normally expect from like your point guard, for example. And maybe there's even a plus to not having Eric out there because, for example, like Brian during his, his last, uh, what's the segment called on Mondays now? You would know off the top of your Bucks head, Adam. Bucks Film Room Live. Yes, 8, Bucks 8 film p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Central, uh, Brew Hoop, if you want to check it out there, uh, or his, his YouTube, go check it out. So plug there, but I thought last week he talked about Eric Bledsoe and dealing with the fact that defenders are off of him, and that's, he. I think Eric's numbers from three were a little bit better, like by a hair, than Dante, but part of not having Eric out there, and if you have like George Hill, Wes, and Brooke, for example, those are three pretty no-doubt three-point shooters whereas Eric might not have nearly the same reputation and so you're missing Eric in that he's not able to play as the point of attack on offense but you kind of gain in some ways in the fact that now the opponent has three shooters that are have a reputation have executed throughout the season like George Hill at a really high level West and Brooke at pretty decent levels as well um, and and so it's a weird balance. I would rather have Eric back just because I think the pros are greater than the cons of having him back. But it's been interesting watching Dante at point guard, watching lineups where Hill is at point guard, but you have other two other shooters out there and then letting Chris and Eric or Chris and Giannis, I should say, um, kind of work off of that. So there's a lot of different folds. I, I'm not saying that it's necessarily all positive that Eric isn't there, but um, if it gets people more comfortable where if Eric is struggling in the future and you have to pull him in lieu of like George Hill, hopefully this will be experience that people can go off of and say, we can still do this. No problem. Even if we don't have the guy who's normally our, our number one point guard. So a lot of Eric Bledsoe thoughts. I don't know. It's, it's kind of mixed. I mean, I'm interested to see what he looks like coming back to, because maybe he'll play so well that it won't even matter. It'd be like, well, this is why he's back because, or this is why you want him out there because of what he does. Yeah, I was going to say that's really I was going to say Kyle, that's really like the different looks we've been getting is mainly the absence of Eric Bledsoe. Everyone who goes in for Pat Connaughton is like, you know, like you either you or Riley said they're replaceable, but really we're getting different looks because of the absence of Eric Bledsoe right now. Yeah, with Eric Bledsoe, just how he plays, other than Giannis, he's the only guy that can capably take the ball from the top of the key, get straight to the hoop and finish whether it's contact or no no contact and I think Giannis is Right now, the roster, the only one that can consistently do it well, you know, and Brogdon was on the Bucks. He was another guy that could do it. But 
I, and also just Bledsoe's physicality and how he plays, it relies a lot on athleticism. It's a different type of athleticism than Dante. While Dante, it's kind of more that like agility and being able to kind of make a fast reaction, use his arms, it's kind of get a deflection and go from there. Bledsoe, it's kind of more that I'm stronger than you. I'm going to be able to absorb the contact. I'm going to be able to be a little bit more physical in that regard. So how that changes is interesting and like Riley said you you know while you lose that kind of point of attack you do gain a shooter but at the same time I think that's what makes Bledsoe a little bit dangerous is if he gets going he can shoot the ball pretty well he can go you know three to six four or five something like that it's just we don't really see him take those shots unless he absolutely has to and you know the lanes are a little bit clogged up so I think with Bledsoe it's going to be interesting in terms offensively I think once he gets back he'll still be relatively okay still attacking the hoop it's just defensively especially with his strategy on james harden if he plays for that game or not then i wonder what milwaukee's going to do as the alternative i know they had wesley matthews on james harden the last time they played each other so maybe they go back to that route but i think it's going to be on the defensive end that i'm a little bit more curious on whether going from bledsoe and his more physical style of play and his ability to take more contact compared to Dante or George Hill, who rely more on using their arm length and deflecting, getting in passing lanes and not necessarily getting fighting through screens and just more going around it. That I'm wondering how that's going to affect Milwaukee for the next you know, probably one or two weeks that Bledsoe's still getting back into shape. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up defensively. You talked about it earlier with the Spurs game. That game was interesting. Obviously stifled them to 92 points. Also, that first game was weirdly 10-minute quarters, and then no other games are going to be 10-minute quarters, which is I fine. I was confused I, by that as well. I, I like turned on the Kings game and I'm like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> Are we not being consistent across games? Or That is strange. Well, that makes the 80 points a little less shocking. It's still shocking that they got 80 at half, but I was like, wow, they really got 80 points in 20 minutes of gameplay. Mm-hmm. That is impressive. <laughs> but, okay, I guess not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Great, great wrinkle by the NBA to make sure they can get up to speed. Um, anyway, there's so anyway, in that Spurs game though, it was interesting because the Bucks, who aren't a team that really creates that many turnovers, but obviously in that game took the Spurs to our lead the league in terms of fewest turnovers per game. I think they have like 12.3 game against the Bucks. They have 22. I chuck a lot of that up to, to just sloppiness on their end and missing some of their, their better players. But I think you were right, Kyle, in that it does still show that the Bucks offense is is still clicking uh, on on a lot of cylinders and, and shows especially the uh, symbiotic relationship between all the defenders on the floor when they're out there. You know, they are able to they know where each other are going to be. They know when to push the um, push the envelope in terms of passing lanes and, and jumping balls and getting steals and that kind of stuff. You saw that with Dante DiVincenzo, of course. Uh, but. I think I'm I'm very fascinated to see and make sure that the Bucks defense is still at the historic if it can still perform at the historic level it was doing before the break. I mean, I think that's something that we take for granted a little bit, but you know, with a 4-month layoff, we can't really know. I think I, the offense seems like that's it. that's something that I don't I don't really know how it wouldn't be up to speed, but the defense was so 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 historically great. I mean, up up there with like some of the best defenses of the last couple decades so many better points, you know, net rating points per better than just the Raptors uh, who are in second place. So I, I'm very curious, Riley, to see if, if, if there's any drop off in that. 
um, because that that really was the thing that was consistently great for them all of last year in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think I'm not as worried about it just because even when the team was sort of sputtering relative to their rest of the regular season at the end, right before the season got put on hold. The issue at that point still wasn't necessarily the defense like that. The principles are a lot more secure, I would say. Um, and, and like I said, throughout all of the playoffs last year that kind of maintained, it was more so the offensive sputtering. And so we saw at the end of this regular season, sort of a similar thing happened where the defense continued to be consistently great, but then, the net rating was dropping because the offensive rating was dropping. And I think we ended the season like fifth overall in offensive rating, I'm pretty sure. And so, yes, it's heartening. Um, and I think we can give a lot of credit to that, to the fact that Brooke Lopez seems to be on both ends of the floor. We can talk about him too, because he had two really good scrimmage games, but he's such a good anchor inside and it makes it so much easier between Giannis poaching off ball or weak side, or wherever he happens to be, and Brooke inside. Like It's such a simplistic system, but it works so well that there's a reason why other teams haven't figured it out over two seasons now. And so going into this, I'm not really worried about the defense at all. And so the other concern would be the offense. And given the fact that guys had time to rest up, Giannis isn't going to be laboring nearly as much after 82 whole games, plus going into the playoffs and things like that. So I, I think from these first two games, really encouraging. Uh, the Kings scored a lot, but that's because we had 20 minutes of DJ Wilson uh, in the second half. So what are you going to do about that? But when the main guys are out there, it looks to be functioning as well as you could. And uh, again, there's a reason why nobody's figured it out. Like it's worked as well for two seasons in, in a row. This isn't a Jason Kidd situation where it was like first year, everybody's like, whoa, what are they doing here? And then the second year is like, okay, well, we're just going to punish them every, every single game and they're not going to do anything different about it. It's worked so well. Uh, stick to it. There's not much to change there, and I think that's encouraging for us for the first two games at least. Yeah, Kyle, let's talk a little about Brooke Lopez, who so far six for nine from three-point land through these two games, which is promising to see. Hit five blocks against the Kings. Uh, I mean, you can't take anything really away from the scrimmage, but I do think you know if if there's anyone who we think offensively certainly had room to grow from the layoff till now. I, I think Brooke Lopez is probably the prime candidate. It was one of those things where with his shooting, every time he shot the ball, it was good looks. It's not, you know, him forcing bad threes or him forcing up shots. It was, they were open and it just didn't fall. And hopefully we, we didn't think he would be this 30% and below shooter that he was showing all of the season and maybe it wasn't going to be this 40 plus three point shooter that we saw last year. So maybe now that like 35% range is just what I think that's kind of the mean of the average that we should expect out of him moving forward. But no, he's looked really good. I, I don't know if it's the power of Disney. That's the reason, or maybe he just <laughs> have a chance to kind of do over and just go back in with the fresh mindset. But his shots are now falling. It's a good thing to see. And, I, d I wonder how much of that is just more of a just keep shooting and things will level itself out. So I think offensively that's going to be big for Milwaukee because, you know, in that Raptor series last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, he, other than the first game, it was really tough for him to get going. And you could tell that when his shots were falling, then it was kind of less of the offense sputtered more because you didn't have to worry about him as a threat and you can go and double Giannis and Chris and force – yeah, and just kind of 
clogged up everything else. While now, if Brooke can, like I said, shoot that 35 to 40% range, I think it reopens the offense a little bit more. And defensively, he's still got it. I think he should be on an all-defense team in hell. I've even thought at times that he should be defensive player of the year ahead of Giannis if you had to pick a Milwaukee player, just because it's not just the blocks that he's getting. It's just the general presence that he has. He's altering shots. He's forcing, you know, he's forcing guys to just stop trying to go for layups and passing it out. So I think his impact defensively has been the best that I've ever seen out of him. And I think that's the reason why Milwaukee's defense has been so good is because Brooke Lopez's defense, it was good last year. Now it's great this year. So it's good to see him playing well. And I, this is why he's probably the third most important buck. If he doesn't play well, that team's going to suffer. And I think that's a good thing that right now the shots are falling and defensively hasn't missed a beat. Do you think, Adam, that as a way, sort of like getting in the right mindset, Brooke hired some guy to do the Mickey Mouse voice and read your article about his post-game offense to kind of get him in the right headset or like mindset. What do you, what do you think about that? Because it, there were times it's not nearly probably like to the rate as he was back in the day with the nets, but there have been times where it seems like, Bud or I don't know if it's kind of on the fly, Brooke seems more engaged or more like willing to go inside, or even if just like, he'll do this all the time where he'll be on the perimeter and like, he'll just take his man on and dribble to the hoop for, for whatever reason. But I thought there were some times where he, he worked in the post and it's like that he's a, a ginormous human being. And this was especially against the Kings where they were undersized because of the guys that they're missing, but it was just automatic for him at the, at the rim when he got into the paints. And I'm not sure if maybe you credited to what you said and, or what you wrote. And he read that. I don't know. Good Lord, I hope not, because hearing <laughs> Mickey Mouse in your head saying, like, you shot 43% on turnaround to <laughs> three feet. I would not wish that on anyone. It was also one of the worst Mickey Mouse impressions I haven't yeah, seen. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that post-edit. We're going to definitely put a little filter over that for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you it, it's a great point. I mean, when I looked at the numbers, he was, he was shooting about, he had about at least one more full post-up per game. Than last year, which one to two, you know, when you're having two post-ups a game, doesn't seem like much. But when it comes to the Bucks' offense, I mean, like, it, it means quite a bit when so many of the possessions are going to both Giannis and Chris. And so that, you know, Brooke Lopez doesn't have as many chances. So when you're trying to optimize him and throw in a little more diversity, I think that is uh, – I think that's a really good wrinkle for him to follow. Also been, has been sneaky, one of the more better dr- – more efficient drivers on the team the last two seasons, which is really, really odd. Rarely does it, but when he gets sort of that lumbering body going, finds a way to get, make it to the hoop. I, I think that maybe that part of his game, feeling more well-rounded out, you know, when he's able to get those shots to go, I'm sure that helps him a little bit from the outside too, where he feels like, okay, well, at least I'm, I'm able to contribute this way, even if I'm not, you know, my shot's not falling on, um, you know, on the other end. So, you know, Hopefully that he's able to feel like he can continue to work down low and, and Bud continues to work that into the offense. I know he ran a really, really nice pick and roll with Chris uh, in one of the games. It's escaping me which one, but that was really, really nice to see. There's also a weird, it uh, it won't matter, I think, with, without fans there, but there's like a weird energy to some of Brooke Lopez's threes. Like the trailing three that's so super deep feels like a cheat code. And that like that like feels like a more exciting three to me than... I don't know, even like a, just like a regular pull-up three, and his are always from so deep. They they seem to they they carry like more energy for me than 
a typical three, which is a dumb thing. That really means nothing, but there, there's something about that that I kind of uh, Brook Lopez. Which one, which shot carries more energy for you? Either the Brook Lopez 45 footer or the Cal Corver, like he's literally perpendicular to the floor and taking the shot. Like <laughs> that's his other, that's his only go to shot, Cal Corver. And I appreciate his consistency with that shot type. Man, I don't know. I, I think the Brook one is as good as Kyle Corver is. I, I think the Brook one as well, just because it's just more the absurdity of how far back he has, and he still decides mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just going to shoot it no matter what. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Hey, crazy. It's crazy. Kyle Corver, that's just his form, and that's just what, he, mm-hmm. that's what he's been doing for the last 50 years. So, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's speak very briefly, speaking of Kyle Corver, about this, this Kings game. Uh, it was the second scrimmage. The starters really only played one half. Brooke Lopez, you know, wrecked it, wrecked the Kings in the third quarter. But Bucks win 131 to 123. Giannis, 15 points, nine rebounds, six assists, 11 of 13 from the free throw line. That was promising. He had mentioned how the silence at the free throw line was weird. So that was good to see. Um, Brooke Lopez ends with 21 points, four of six from deep. Like I said, did a lot of damage in the third quarter. Uh, Kyle Korver leads the team with 22 points. 8 of 14 from the field. Uh, not a whole lot for me to take away from this one. Giannis wrecked him inside. The Kings don't really have any sort of body that can match up with him. Um, Godspeed to Harry Giles and how he his body probably felt the next day. Uh, you know, we saw some of the pick and rolls that I thought were, you know, promising that you were mentioning earlier, Riley. You know, the Chris Giannis pick and roll continued to look really good between them. Um, this one felt more than any other certainly more than the first game, like a summer league game or like definitely a preseason game where you get, you know, primary ball handler Sterling um, barreling into the rim and then mm-hmm. not even really getting a shot off <laughs> as he's, as he's, he's pushed to the ground, which is fine. But like when you're sec- when your second half offense uh, devolves into run Kyle Korver um, around a screen, passing the ball and have him shoot, uh, there's just not going to be a whole lot to take away from that. But first half, was there anything that stood out to you, Riley, from the, the Kings game? The big thing, and this is so tough to tell with Giannis because he can be really on one game and then really off the next, but there were multiple possessions where he did his usual, like, I'm going to start at the half-court line, just start sprinting at whoever, and then after having defenders commit to him, then he passes out to whoever the three-point shooter is. And sometimes it works really, really well, and sometimes he kind of, like, it's weird because he'll wait until he become like comes to a complete stop and then pivot on his foot and then like whip it out to off balance to whoever. But in this in the Kings game in the first half especially, there were a lot of possessions where in the flow of moving, instead of waiting, having three defenders on him, pivoting and then finding whoever it is, he seemed to almost have it locked into his mind. And this can be a pro or a con depending on how it works but he's like okay i know that west is going to be like directly behind me his defenders are already committing to me because like you said the kings didn't have enough size inside to even like try to stop yana so it was like let's just swarm him instead and he consecutive like consistently executed on that found three point shooters whether it be west whether it be marvin whether it be even ron lopez in the corner for example and so yes it was a romp there wasn't a lot that the king could do defensively but given that since they chose to swarm instead and we've seen other teams namely the raptors last year who really did that well and Giannis kind of struggled to figure out how to get outside of that or to find other guys other teammates to see him consistently through that first half do it so well that was 
heartening to me. Now the question is, is that going to be consistent throughout the playoffs against teams with better defensive personnel who have a better idea how to stop them? We'll see. But anytime that you see Giannis be able to find a guy and get the assist that way, I think that's just, it, it makes life easier for him and it opens up the offense and that's when it functions at its best. So that was what I saw was the the big thing to me. Yeah, it's a good point. The blue squares really helped out in that respect. You can really see those players planted those those spots and Giannis really expect to know where they are. I think he had a behind the head pass to, I think it was Robin Lopez in that first game against the Spurs. So um, yeah. really nice to see from Giannis, um, nice win against the Kings. I think the, the really not a whole lot else to take away from that game. So uh, let's move on. There's two things we want to talk about before the break. Um, first one is the full schedule, which we haven't talked about since it came out. So the full schedule of who the Bucks are going to be facing once the seeding games actually start. They have one last pre, excuse me, scrimmage left. And so the full schedule is going to be Boston, Houston, Brooklyn, Miami, Dallas, Toronto, Washington, and Memphis. So, Kyle, is there one game out of that group that um, you're more intrigued to see than than any other? I would go Miami just because that is the one team the Bucks haven't been able to beat this season. They've lost them twice. First time they had the large lead going into the second half, and that kind of fell by the wayside. And the second time, I think it was either right on the back-to-back or they were still on a long road trip, and they just looked sluggish and could not – match Miami's physicality. So that's going to be the one that I'm interested in, mainly because I want to see how Giannis adjusts to it now that he is fully rested, now that he has had a chance to... I I just want to see how he does, because that might be a team that Milwaukee's going to have to face in the second round um, if Miami keeps the fourth or fifth seed and wins their first round. So that's going to be... I think that's going to be the game that I'm interested in the most, because I don't... It's not like Miami has you know, shooters other than Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson. You know, Jimmy Butler is kind of that guy where he's going to take a bunch of shots, but he can make them. And it seems like he's going to be more the guy that everyone compares Chris to. Uh, Bad at Adebayo, how he is played. And if he guards Giannis or if we you know, use Brooke to go at him, I think it's going to be Miami the most, just because that is more of a potential second round opponent that Milwaukee hasn't beaten. And last two times has been, Milwaukee unable to string together enough offensive possession against Miami's defense. And if they can at least show some signs of competent offense against Miami, then I like their chances in a seven game series. I already like their chances, but instead of it going six or seven where the Bucks win, maybe it can only be four or five. What about you, Riley? Any game that you're uh, more excited to see than others? I would say, I mean, it's tough because of the way, again, the Bucks have such a lead, but I'm looking forward to the Toronto game. At that point, I'm assuming that the seeding for the Bucks is going to be locked up. It would be, unless, I mean, they lo- <laughs> they lose like every single game up until that point, which I don't see happening. Um, but I think that'll be interesting just because there might still be, based on how the seeding goes, there might still be something at stake for Toronto. Um, they're kind of not necessarily the boogeyman because Kawhi isn't there anymore, but I think there's still a little bit of a rivalry wrapped up in that. And the Celtics are early on enough that the first game in the seeding games where that might not have nearly as much of like in the way of stakes, whereas the Toronto game might theoretically. So that's the one I'm kind of interested in just because 
maybe seeding implications. They're, they're an interesting team to try and match up against just the way that they're coached and their personnel um, and because of the history from last year. So that would be the one. But any of the games, it's going to be mostly a wash, I think, for Milwaukee because, again, after like two or three games, they might have it locked up and it won't even matter at that point. So we'll see. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, I think I would agree with you too. If there was another one I'd be interested in, I'd be interested in the Mavericks. Um, I feel like they're getting a little bit of buzz here as we start to get closer to the bubble. You got Porzingis, they got Luka Doncic. You know, they're they have that sort of deadly deadly combination. They of course uh, ended the Bucks' um, long winning streak earlier in the season, so there's a little maybe a little bit of a revenge factor there, but. Um, I, I think I'd be interested in that because there's not, I, I'm not super, I kind of know what like a Houston matchup looks like between the Bucks. It's really all focused on that Eric Bledsoe potentially guarding James Harden matchup. But I think the Dallas matchup is interesting just given Luka Doncic's size, how we're, how the Bucks might decide to attack him. And then Kristaps Porzingis inside as well. Him versus Giannis before the, before the injury, that was slowly becoming one of the more exciting matchups between two players in the league so it'd be pretty cool if Porzingis was able to get back to health so I, I guess I'll, I'll look forward to that one that one's pretty exciting um anything else on the schedule that you guys wanted to comment on I it's it's hard Kyle because the Bucks have such a huge lead it really won't matter too much yeah and I feel like for most for the contenders I would say the Bucks, Raptors Lakers Clippers and yeah, I think that's going to be the only teams I consider. They already have their places more or less sealed up. So now it's just more what does Philly with a healthier Ben Simmons, do they you know, possibly get all the way up to third or do they stand at six? If you know the Pacers and uh, Heat, how they adjust, especially with the Pacers losing, it's a bonus, but they might get Old Depot back. It is more a lot of the seeding stuff both on like the three through six range along with it in the Western conference. So I think for them, it's going to matter more while for Milwaukee and Toronto, just let's just get through this healthy. Let's just get as much of our guys back in shape as possible because once those games start and I feel like it's going to be very fast and it's going to, it's now it's going to be a sprint to the end of the season. And thankfully it looks like Milwaukee's probably going to get Orlando in the first round and not, I think it's what Washington, that city in ninth, but I don't think they have, they don't have Bertons who decided not to risk it. They don't have Bradley Beal. So it's going to be, let's just get healthy, face Orlando, win that series, move on to the next one. That's when it's going to start getting intense and serious. Agreed. Agreed. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. And then on the other side, we'll do uh, move on to some of our old standbys for the miscellaneous category. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. Fellas, it's time. There's still not that much basketball to talk about, so we are going <laughs> to keep doing our potpourri stuff. Um, we're going we're gonna to kick it off with our rapid-fire questions section. I wrote these right before we recorded, so you know they're good. Okay. First one. What do you keep your house temperature set at? Let's say it's like a hot day and you want the AC on. Well, ours is currently at 66. I would rather have it up to like 67 or 68, because especially when I'm in my basement, it is a nice box down here. 
I live in an apartment where we have just some things shoved in the wall to make things cold. So I prefer setting number five on my AC unit. I have no idea what, what that temperature is. Uh, so fans, windows open. And if it's really hot, then setting number five on the AC unit, whatever that uh, is in Fahrenheit. Okay, perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, right? I've... I... That's all right. It's I'm not too offended. It's whatever. I'm, I'm only mad. like I'm like two years removed from that life, and I've already yeah. forgotten it. I've, I've clearly moved on. I feel terrible. Yeah, I understand. No, no problem. <laughs> all right, next one. This is big. Boneless or bone-in wings? I used to be a strong adherent to the bone-in. However, when places like Buffalo Wild Wings, I mean, we don't have to get into this too much, but I think the quality has. I mean, it's awful now. Let's just be honest about it. Like, <laughs> B-Dubs is awful. We don't have to get into it too much. But it, I was bone in for a long time, and then I transitioned slowly but surely to boneless. I think I'm still team boneless at this point, uh, though I do not mind a good uh, drummy or a good – I call them wings. I don't know if people call them flats or what, but uh, I am team boneless generally. I'm team bone in just because I feel like – other than B-dubs, if you go to a wing place and get wings, they're always bone-in, so I just got used to it, and yeah, I don't mind bones, it's just one more thing, I just have to like watch out, and if I chew on a bone, I can take and spit it out, so it's not a big deal. Fair enough. Quality debate between you two. We could go further <laughs> with that one, but we'll we'll leave it at that. All right. <laughs> do you, maybe we've done this before, do you have a tattoo? I do not. I was thinking, so right before COVID hit, and when it was like, well, the hospitals might actually just not exist anymore. Uh, I was contemplating getting, because I ran ran a marathon two years ago, and I was contemplating getting the finishing time on like my rib cage or whatever. Uh, so I still haven't gotten that, but that whenever, it, I probably will get it sooner rather than later now that things are a little bit more calm, but um, do not have one now, but plan on getting one in the near future. I don't have one. I've kind of gone back and forth on if I want to get one. I thought of getting one to like commemorate Sterling more or less, but then I just got a necklace, which saves myself the time, energy, and pain. So I I go back and forth. Sometimes I think, yeah, it'd be cool to get one, but I can never think of one that would be worth keeping on my body forever. I kind of think it'd be cool if we got like Bruhu podcast tattoos, right? Like. <laughs> Dead silence from the other hosts, so I'm going to guess that's a no. <laughs> Only if it's the Photoshop you sent yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll be look really good. I'm sure we'll find really good artists who will be able to transition that to our skin, no problem. Uh, I can't have a picture. That would be cool if we had pictures of our own faces on our body. That would be fun. <laughs> okay, last one. Uh, does cilantro taste like, is cilantro to you taste like soap? Or is it delicious? Delicious. I used to be team soap. Now I'm team delicious. I I feel like I don't notice it enough. So I <laughs> guess it's delicious. <laughs> I don't mind it. I just don't notice it enough. And maybe it's because of like the cilantro I'm putting on or whatever. But it's fine. I wouldn't. I, if there's an in between team middle, team whatever, that's me. Okay. Team whatever. Yeah. Okay, hold on though. I need to revisit the used to be team soap. I thought it was like genetically there's like a chemical issue with people who have it taste like soap. Like it's something 
wrong? Did your did you evolve, Riley? Like you, I, your own body evolved. It's a really good question. I like to chalk it up to my maturing into, you know, the adult male that I am now. I used to be so mature and I had the immature palate of a 12 year old, even when I was like 20 or whatever. So I think this is a testament to personal growth, but it wasn't so much that I thought it tasted like soap. I just wasn't a huge fan of the taste. And if you have it for a lot of dishes, it's so not overpowering, but you could tell what it's in there for the most part, unless you're Kyle, in which case it's like team middling. But in my experience, I was like, it's really over the top. I'm, I'm not used to it or I'm not a huge fan of it. And so I didn't think it was soap necessarily, but I wasn't just like, wow, I love this. Whereas nowadays, I really appreciate the kind of different flavor that it tosses in. And we every week we get cilantro and toss it into whatever we're making. So uh, it wasn't so much that... Uh, my chemical makeup changed necessarily in that way. It's just, I became uh, more appreciative of it as I aged. So. Thank you both for bringing, bringing a little complexity and nuance to my, my binary. <laughs> so, so Our pleasure. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. So let's move on. Kyle's film review. All right. So I really struggled trying to think of a movie that I watched, but I realized that Hamilton counts as a movie as it is now released on Disney Plus. So it's I so I've seen Hamilton as a show in Chicago. Um, so it was interesting watching it, and that was two years ago to now, where on Disney Plus they have the broad, a Broadway version of it, and you can just tell the differences between you know the sets and the characters and the facial expressions. Uh, between the two so i thought that was really interesting but in terms of the i guess quote-unquote movie overall aka the broadway show it's really there are things that you kind of notice and that you can enjoy in terms of how the cast express themselves in terms of how the songs are and how it flows and how it ties into everything i really enjoyed it um it is i think it's a great idea for disney plus to put it on there so because it's so expensive to try and get tickets to any Hamilton show, no matter what city it's in. So I thought that was a cool thing to do. Um, music is pretty good. The first half is, it's interesting. Cause like the first half is very much go, go, go. And then there's like a slow part. And it's like, go, go, go. And then it's a slow part. And then like the second part is kind of just like a whole lot of sad. It, it, the, the second part is just very, there's all, there's always some sad story that associates with it. So I think that's kind of interesting as well, but I am a big, I, I enjoyed it. I give it a nine out of 10. I really love Hamilton. I love the music, the cast crush it out of the park. Um, oddly enough, I still don't think it's Lin-Manuel Miranda's best musical though. So take that for what you will. My one question follow up. Are you predisposed to like musicals, Kyle? Or are you like, do you in general like musicals? Yeah, I, it was one of those cause Hamilton. No, it wasn't. The first one I saw was Phantom of the Opera in Milwaukee. That was like 10 years ago. But I am predisposed to like it just because I think as long as the music is entertaining enough, any musical can be good. And I, and that's why I think with Hamilton, it was it's so effective because the music is really entertaining. You know, you don't have to watch the musical to enjoy the music. So with that, with Wicked... Um, trying to think of some other like big Broadway ones. Sweeney Todd. You, you really don't need to watch it to understand and like enjoy the music, which is kind of good. Unlike something like Cats, where it's just a cluster and you don't know what's going on. And that was even before the new movie came out. <laughs> so 
I've always been a big musical person. If I have a chance to go to a community theater show, I would go. And Emma's really into theater as well. So I kind of just got more, it kind of got more ingrained into it. And Sound of, Mus- Sound of Music is also another one that you can listen to the music and that's fine as well. You don't have to watch it, but it's, it's enjoy. You can enjoy both at the same time. Yeah, I ask simply because I'm not predisposed to like it. Everybody's, it's cool that people like musicals, but one of my my opinions is if you listen to musical music like album or like you're just hanging out and you're just like, oh, let's put on like the Hamilton soundtrack, I automatically think you might be a psycho. So uh, that's just my feeling on most musicals. It's just not for me, but I'm glad that you're out here advocating for it and shout out to everybody who likes musicals. I will say if, a good you have to you have to watch a good musical if you ever watch it for the first if you see a musical for the first time it has to be a good one because the bad one can definitely sour your opinions on it for a long time <laughs> well middle school adam loved listening to the wicked soundtrack on cd so i guess uh well, middle school adam say- was a psycho <laughs> apparently <laughs> no offense to not, old adam but probably not far off yeah uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving on, we've got to, we've got two two segments straight from the head of Riley to to send us out before we we make our predictions. So let's move on to Vulture Talk. What is the situation with Giannis's long term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 Yeah, and I think I suppose it's pretty hypocritical of me to cause or call other people psychos when I spend so much of my free time trolling the internet for random rumors of other psychos <laughs> talking about Giannis and or talking about fountain pens. But uh, this week, the the only thing that I was able to find was a, I don't know what Sports Illustrated is anymore because it essentially died, but I think it like has now weird sub like pages for outside of fan-sided. It's like weird sub pages, blogs for the teams themselves. And there was some article on like the Mavs blog about like bubble donuts and how it was like a 12 point program on why Giannis would go to the Mavericks. And like the argument boiled down to essentially that Milwaukee has never proven to be a place where you can get big name free agents to sign and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that for all of Dallas's existence, that was actually also the case for them. So when, <laughs> you know, whatever it's kind of cognitive dissonance there, but then <laughs> I think wow, they're expecting Greg Monroe like that. I cannot believe well, that. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they? Or like like I think <laughs> their their excuse was the fact that Porzingis signed with them, but they traded for Porzingis. So it's not like they got him as like a straight up unrestricted free agent. And also they had to give him all of the freaking money to come there. So th- th- whatever to the side, it was essentially the case of like again. Giannis loves European people more than he loves Americans. Why wouldn't he want to join a team full of European superstars and like rule the cosmos or something? Again, I, I think it's insane. Uh, the rambling is a mostly insane person. Uh, I'm going to put it on the Monday morning media roundup because I need the content, but uh, shout out to the Mavs who, for whatever reason, I can understand why Miami would think they have a chance. I can understand why Toronto thinks they have a chance. I can understand the Lakers, I guess, or the Warriors, besides the fact that they don't have enough money to pay for Giannis. But I can kind of get where they're coming from if I squint my eyes so much that my eyes are actually shut. But with Dallas, I can't even do that. you know. And so that's why articles from teams like that are so ridiculous, in my opinion. Kudos to the 
kudos to the Mavs fans. The European yeah. thing just makes no sense to me. It's like, is there no? You're saying there's no cultural difference between Kristaps Porzingis and Giannis Antetokounmpo? Like, it's significantly greater than anyone than state to state. Do they know that it's a little different over there? Uh-huh. Like the countries yeah. are like states. People people don't realize that Lithuania is actually just like northern Greece when you think about it. If you look at a map, so it's very similar backgrounds. Very Athens is a lot like Vilnius. It's very the cities are much like one another. So I get where that mistake would happen. Plus, I'm pretty sure most Europe, other European countries hate each other at this point. So uh, <laughs> yeah, there's 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 a lot of beef over there that you don't necessarily have. Like what's the, this is totally unrelated, but wasn't there like a rumor that Vladi Divac didn't want to get. Uh, Luka Doncic because of like old country beef, like old Yugoslav beef or whatever. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is beef. That is like that. yeah, that whole Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia. Yeah, that's they don't mess we don't around. Have, with it. We don't have to get into the politics of uh, post Cold War Europe, but I, I think it's definitely uh, a little reductive if you're like, oh yeah, they're all Europeans, so they're gonna love playing with each other. So uh, shout out to Mavs fans and your uh, your crazy ideas. It's not gonna happen, dude. Sorry. I'd like to see you. I feel like you are actually qualified enough to write that piece, Riley, about like how post Cold War Europe, like those decisions led to the Kings not picking Doncic. Yeah. <laughs> I would read that. Uh, I'm not sure if it would be appropriate to put on Bruhu, but I'll definitely put it on my own personal <laughs> site because <laughs> that feels like that's invite. That's like red meat. That's asking for people from across the internet to flood the comment section with just <laughs> horrific stuff. So <laughs> we'll avoid it. Maybe we can pitch it to Sacktown Royalty. They're, yes. they're, the Kings fans are, are strong about that stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, it's time It's time for the return of, of Riley's fountain pen review. Yeah, and this week it's interesting because uh, I forgot my other two fountain pens that I haven't reviewed at work. So this week we're going to be doing our first ink review. Uh, so this brand, let's see if you can see it. It's called Orochizuku uh, by Pilot. So Pilot's one of the Japanese brands. They're like one of the giants. Um, I have a couple of their pens. This is like their specialty um, brand that they ended up doing a couple of years ago. And I think there's like 20 different colors that they have. Um, and this is the Takasumi. And as you can see from the really cool fancy bottle, uh, it's really over the top. I believe it's 50 milliliters. And the thing about this is this is as dark of a black as you can get for most fountain pen inks. Um, the Eroshizuku line is already like the higher tier of fountain pen inks. And this is, it's, it's tough to get something that's like almost getting ink that you would get on a page for like a printer or something along those lines. But this is the equivalent where I believe it's waterproof or a lot of fountain pen inks aren't. Um, it's, it's so buttery smooth, especially if you're using it in a bigger nib that allows the ink to come out a lot quicker. So in medium sized nibs, italic nibs, stub nibs, whatever it happens to be, um, it looks excellent. If you're looking for a base black, I know there's others like noodlers. Um, I'm sure there's like Monteverdi, a lot of them, but if you're looking for best quality, best value for the money, I got to say that the Takasumi from Orochizuku would be, uh, the one that I would suggest. So uh, nothing too crazy. I don't really have a sample. I think if you looked at previous videos, I've shown samples of text with it. It, it just looks really, really nice. So highly suggested if you're looking for uh, a black to start your uh, collection. I do have one quick question. So with how dark the ink was, do you think that makes mm-hmm. a difference in terms of like what you can and can't write on? Or like, yes, like, absolutely. That's like what I'm trying to wonder. 
Absolutely. So there's this whole thing where if I tried to use like your base office paper, um, it's just the the way that it's the acidity on it, the way that they treat the paper, it does not lend itself well to something like this. Or you could even go like for your just basic fountain pen ink. It's just it what it, it's called bleeding where like the ink just kind of like splays out from wherever you were writing and it kind of just splotchy. So there are special papers out there that are built for fountain pens. And so usually they're either untreated um, or they're made, there's like a higher cotton percentage, which is able to absorb the ink and prevent it from essentially bleeding. And so you'll have seen, it, I think a couple, not a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago when the season was still happening, I showed I have a Midori MD, which is a Japanese brand, the paper brand. They're made out of cotton or they have a pretty high cotton percentage. And that, the this ink in particular, um, because it runs a little bit thicker with a bigger nim, nib, I should say, um, you can really tell the difference in that it looks sharp. It allows you to kind of get a little more calligraphy. Like when you see calligraphy, they're not using your basic paper you would get in like a basic notebook or like printer paper. That's specialty paper they're using to get that kind of result. So you will have to adjust what kind of paper if you care about, you know, bleeding or anything along those lines. So that's my paper review. Well, eventually we'll go through all my inks and then we'll go through my papers. And at that point I'll be tapped out and then we'll have to find a new question. But we still have quite a few weeks if we're going to be going each week a new, uh, a new ink and stuff like that. So looking forward to it. Wonderful. Stay tuned. All right. Fellas, let's make predictions. It's been a long time since we could do this and I didn't have to run a fake simulation. So <laughs> we are going to get it started. Oh, never. Okay, sorry. Anyways, we're going to get started with, uh, first we have the Monday scrimmage against the Pelicans. Friday, seeding game opener against the Boston Celtics. And then next Sunday, a matchup against the Houston Rockets. Kyle Carr, what say you? How will the Bucks do? They will go 2-1. They will win the scrimmage. They will beat the Celtics and lose to the Rockets. And the only reason why I think they'll lose to the Rockets is because I feel like James Harden is going to want to try his hardest. And he will take every three, and he will score 50-something points. And he will get to the line 50-something times. He is not giving the ball to anyone else. So I'm going to say two and one because Giannis and Chris will both, and Eric Bledsoe, and everyone will have fouled out by the time the Rockets game ends. And the beauty of that Rockets game when it goes that way is then people will be like, see, LeBron wouldn't let that happen. That's why he's the MVP, because he wouldn't let James Harden score 50. Uh, I, I'm going to go slightly. I'm going to take Kyle's role of the optimist. I'm going to go 3-0. Um, I thought these scrimmages were going to be like 40 minutes of DJ Wilson since they're not, and they're actually like somewhat sort of trying, and just by somewhat sort of trying, they blow teams out, agree that they'll beat the Pelicans. Um, I don't even know if Zion's back from his family emergency, so he might not even be available. Um, but the Celtics and the Rockets figure like it's going to be proving time. There'll still be something to play for for Milwaukee before they secure the top seed, the rivals with both those teams. The only downside would be maybe if Eric Bledsoe comes back and he's still kind of getting up to speed against the Rockets where Kyle's situation comes through and James Harden has a really big game. But I think overall the team will do well enough to do 3-0 this week. I'm going to agree. I'm going to go 3-0, and they're going to lock up that one seed. I think they only need two wins, and then yep. they have it. So yep. I think they're going to lock up the one seed by the next time uh, we all podcast together. Love it. 
works for so, me. <laughs> um, of course, they're they're definitely going to go two and one now because uh, Kyle's usually right. They're going to go zero and three, one hundred percent zero and three or two and one. There is no in between. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's good to see you guys again. It's good to have Bucks basketball back in our lives. Uh, I hope people enjoy that the podcast is back. I hope everyone is enjoying that Bucks basketball is back. Brewhoop.com, go there. We're going to be doing game coverage. We've got, you know, all the usual great articles, Monday morning media roundup. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. Kyle's obviously always doing great tweets during the games and not during the games. Um, usually put some people on blast in really polite ways, which is great. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, hopefully you're still listening after the hiatus. If you are, we really do appreciate it. It means a lot. So, uh, thanks again for listening. Talk to you again soon. Did he just leave? Yep. He definitely just, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Um,